Let us pray. <clears throat> Our gracious and all-wise Heavenly Father, hallowed be Thy name. We thank You for Your holiness We thank You that You love us and chasten us that we might be partakers of Your holiness. And yet, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. But ultimately, it leads to that peaceable fruit of righteousness. We thank you for your mercy and your long suffering toward us, in that while we are sinners, You continue to shower upon us abundantly many bounties, so much so that we take so many of them for granted. We thank you for your providential dealings with us and keeping us safe from harm and giving us shelter, clothing, food, but more importantly, you give us that spiritual food, even that spiritual clothing, the righteousness of Christ. And we thank you for the assembly of the saints that encourage us in our fellowship one with another and we thank you for the encouragement of other saints that come across our path from time to time, that give encouraging words, that aid and comfort our souls, lift up our spirits. We look forward to the coming of the Lord. We know not what we shall be, but we know we shall be like Him. And we know that we shall see Him as He is. Our 
our minds cannot begin to imagine the wonder, the splendor, the glory, the beauty, the holiness of our Lord and Savior. We thank you for these truths. And may we have a mind to be able to contemplate these things as we live out our lives upon this earth. Again, we ask that you would be with faithful men wherever they are as they proclaim the truth as it is in Christ Jesus and that you would raise up other men. We would pray that you would send thy Holy Spirit in bringing about a change in the lives of friends and relatives in whom there appears to be animosity to you and your truth. May we abide faithful until your coming. In Christ we pray. Amen. We come back to 1 John chapter 3. We left off looking at these verses, particularly uh, eight, nine, and ten, I guess. But uh, I want to go back to verse four. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And I want to stop and say here that what uh, God is telling us here is talking about those who continually on a habitual way practice sin. Obviously, we are sinners. John points that out in his beginning of the epistle, where in chapter 1 it is stated that if we say that we have no sin, we make God a liar. And if we say we have not sinned, then that too is wrong. We not only have not sinned, or excuse me, we not only have sinned in the past, we are sinners now. And we sin every day. And sometimes it seems like uh, that we are just, uh, uh, are nothing but a ball of sin 
and wondered if we're not just practicing sin every day ourselves, but there is a distinction made in the Word of God between those who live in sin and those who are uh, sinners. And we have given the classic example uh, of David. He committed adultery and engaged in murder by uh, not only uh, sleeping with Uriah's wife, but putting him in the thick of the battle and having him left to himself where he would obviously be killed in battle. But David didn't practice that every day. And so that's the difference in committing a sin and living in a sin. We have to make that distinction. The devil, it is said, is a liar and he's a liar from the beginning, and he's the father of lies, and he is nothing but a liar, and you can't trust anything that he says. And so we have to make that distinction. But here, John makes the distinction. In fact, he had already made the statement in verse 3 that everyone that has the hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. In other words, the child of grace that knows that he shall be like Christ when Christ return has a hope in him and he purifies himself even as Christ is pure. Now, we have to limit that because we're not saying that Uh, we purify ourselves to the same degree of purity that Christ has. He is impeccable. We're not. He not only did not sin, He could not sin. But we are sinners, but we do not have the same quantity I guess you might say of purity, but we have the same quality, though ours is limited. We have, and then he goes on to say that Christ came into the world to take away sin, and in him is no sin. And then he makes the statement in verse 6 that whosoever abideth, that is, lives in Christ, does not habitually practice sin. Again, I remind you of the E-T-H in our King James Bible, on the end of a verb means what? Present tense. Present tense. In other words, 
He's saying, verse 6, Whosoever is right now abiding in Christ is not right now sinning. He's not habitually practicing sin. You know, our Lord said, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one or hate the other. You cannot abide in Christ and live in sin. You just can't do it. God has so constituted His children after their regeneration in such a way. And then He says, Whosoever sinneth, that is, whosoever is practicing sin on a habitual level, has not seen God or Christ and does not know God or Christ. <clears throat> I think the hymn uh, uh, is primarily speaking of Christ, but uh, it obviously would include God as well. And then he says, little children, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There are people that preach that a person can be a child of grace and live habitually in sin. There are people that teach that. There are people among us that teach such things. That a person might be born again and never even know it and just live in the world just the way he was or the way he is and still be with God in glory. One of the more popular authors, he's dead now, I don't care for him, but a lot of people like uh, C.S. Lewis. But in one of his writings in the Chronicles of Narnia, he at the end of it, there was some guy in there that had been worshiping the devil all of his life, but ultimately God led him into heaven because he did it ignorantly. Well, that's just contrary to Scripture. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. He said, My sheep know me. They will not follow another. And so, uh, I don't care uh, what a man says. When his theology is wrong, he's wrong. And that's what God tells us, and we'll get to that more particularly in the fourth chapter of First John when it talks about try the spirits to be whether they be of God or not. That's talking about false prophets. And if they're not teaching the truth of the Scriptures and teaching direct contrary to the Scriptures, they are a false prophet regardless of whatever else they say. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 13, it says that if a man uh, prophesies and, and the prophecy comes to pass, notice that, 
if he prophesies and his prophecy actually comes to pass. But he says, let us go after other gods, then he's a false prophet. It's not what a man does, it's what he says. And we have to realize that. Revelation talks about that with the beast and the false prophet and the miracles that they might do. Well, what do we have? We have the Word of God. And then coming down to verse 8, He that committeth, that is, habitually practices sin, is of the devil. People say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. But you know, they might know that part of the verse, that part of the Bible, but they don't even know what it means. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, ye shall be measured against, uh, to you again. Now notice he says, whatever you judge, somebody's going to judge you. Then it says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? In other words, why are you worried about a speck of dust in your brother's eye when there's a huge plank in your eye? Or how will thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. In other words, how can I get a speck of dust out of your eye when there's a log in mine? I not only can't see the speck of dust, I can't even see your eye. He's telling us to judge ourselves first. Notice. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. If you get, if you got, if the beam's there, take it out, cast it out, and then, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. He didn't say don't cast it out. He says, get the beam out of yours first. And then he says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before swine. In other words, 
you've got to make a judgment as to a, if a person is a dog or a hog instead of a child of grace. Later on in the same chapter, verse 15, Beware of false prophets. You have to make a judgment as to whether a man of God is a true or a false prophet. See that? How can you beware of a false prophet if you don't know he's false? You've got to make a judgment. Goes on down, talks about a good tree brings forth good fruit and an evil tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree can't bring forth bad fruit and a bad tree can't bring forth good fruit. You have to judge on that. So judge not that you be not judged means that you have to make the proper judgment. And if you don't, then people will make a misjudgment about you. But back in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, again he says, He that committeth, that is he that habitually practices sin, is of the devil. Period. Well, semicolon. <laughs> Well, I know that uh, old John is not what he ought to be, and uh, but yet uh, he went to church at one time, and he actually joined the church, for, and uh, seemed like he was doing pretty good there for a while. And uh, but right now he's living in sin. But I know he's a child of grace. No, if he's committing sin, habitually practicing sin, he's of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. He that is born... In the original language, that's in the perfect passive participle. And whosoever, in other words, we might say it this way. Everyone who has been born of God has the present result that he is one that is born of God 
and does not habitually practice sin. Now that's the grammatical construction. He that is born of God does not habitually practice sin. Now again, let me reiterate, we're all sinners. And sometimes it just seems like that's all we do is sin. But there's one thing about Though it's not said here, but there are in other verses, I believe. And But anyway, you remember how we were before God changed our hearts? There was no fear of God before our eyes. We sinned, but we never thought about offending God. I have illustrated it this way many times in my own life. Uh, I was concerned about my parents and I was concerned about some of my neighbors. I didn't want them to find out. It's like the little boy in school He's doing wrong. Uh, He knows it's wrong. But the only thing he doesn't want anyone to find out is the teacher. He doesn't care about anybody else. And prior to our regeneration, our our, our hearts are hard toward God and so we sin, and it really it it really doesn't bother us whether we're practicing sin or whether we're just committing a sin. But after we're regenerated, we're bothered by it. We know we're sinners. We confess the sin. You know, our Lord said in Luke's account, if someone sins against you and seven times seventy in a day, in one day, seven times seventy, you know what that is, 490 times, just doing the math, in one day they come back and say, forgive me, you're to forgive them. After about the second and the third time, we're ready to give them the right hand of fellowship up beside the head. But that's not what we're to do. We know that we're to uh, practice forgiveness. In other words, uh, if, 
If our Lord said that we're to forgive somebody else that uh, that often, just imagine how often we sin each day. And it bothers us. Sometimes it doesn't bother us enough. We have to admit that. But it bothers us. And we, we're not comfortable living in that sin. And we... we we struggle and fight in order to try to overcome that sin, whatever it is. Flying off the handle, speaking out of turn, gossiping, covetousness. You know, you put it, you put the, the sin in there. Wasting time. Reading and looking at things you shouldn't. I mean, the list can go on exponentially. But we don't live in a particular sin. Why? Because we're born of God. We're born of God. Now, some people, some commentators say, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. But what they say is that the inward man, the seed that is in you can't sin, but the flesh sins. But that's not what the verse says. It didn't say the seed doesn't sin. It says, whosoever is born of God. The person does not sin. Why? Because the seed is in the person. We shall see later on in chapter 4. Well, I'll just turn there for, and read it. I guess it's chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, those that are born of God, they overcome the world.
born of God does not live and commit sin on a continual basis. Notice 2 Peter chapter 1. Well, I'll start at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. That obtained like precious faith is that faith is given to them as a divine allotment. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, we are partakers of the divine nature. We have divine life. We have been born again. I like what Kenneth Weiss said. His seed refers to the principle of divine life in the believer. It is this principle of divine life that makes it impossible for a Christian to live habitually in sin, for the divine nature causes the child of God to hate sin and love righteousness and gives him both the desire and the power to do God's will. As Paul said uh, uh, in Philippians 2.13, we said, God is the one who is constantly putting forth energy in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do His good pleasure. The regenerate spirit in the child of grace is powerful. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we have to continually know that. God tells us, that's in 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at Romans 8.
Romans 8. Start at verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Notice that. Sounds like First John, does it not? Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, if he's not regenerated, he's none of his. If he doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Pause for a moment. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that you've got a power in you that's going to raise you from the dead? You don't feel that, do you? But you believe it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Boy, I wish I could feel that power. You will someday. That same power that is in you, that same Holy Spirit that is in you, is going to bring you out of the grave. You say, Well, I sure, I, I sure don't feel like it. No, we don't. No, we don't feel like it. But that's what it says. You either believe it or you don't. You say, well, I, I, I can't comprehend that. No, you can't. You haven't experienced it yet. Someday you're going to experience it.
Someday you're going to look back on your grave and say, Oh, grave, where is your victory? Let's read verse 11 again. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. Excuse me, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We're not in debt to the flesh. We were at one time. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, John in his epistle is not writing anything different than what Paul wrote in his epistle. Not anything any different. I'm going to read another quote from Wiest where he is quoting a man by the name of Smith. The reason of the impossibility of a child of God continuing in sin. The germ of the divine life has been implanted in our souls and it grows, a gradual process and subject to occasional retardations, yet sure attaining at length to full fruition. The believers lapse into sin are like the mischances of the weather which hinder the seed's growth. The growth of a living seed may be checked temporarily. If there be no growth, there is no life. In other words, we struggle. Sometimes it seems like we take three steps forward and two backwards. Really, it seems like sometimes I take two forward and three backwards. But you know, beloved, the reason you're still serving God is because of God's Holy Spirit that is in you and is continuing to keep you by His grace and power. talking to someone recently and he knew that I was a minister and 
He kept talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And from time to time, he'd say, well, I, I know I'm not a good Christian, but I, I believe I'm saved. And I know I don't do everything like I ought to, but I believe, you know, it, he kept making excuses for his sins. You say, well, is he a child of God or not? That's God's business. But a child of grace, according to Scripture, doesn't go around making excuse for his sins. He seeks to repent of his sins. He confesses his sins, but he doesn't brag about his sins. And the more that man talked, the more I kept thinking about 1 John. wishing I had the opportunity to, to preach to him a little bit. But he was not interested so much as hearing what I had to say as making excuses for his sins. Now I'm thankful to have had the conversation with him because it was far better than talking about uh, the market or the economy and a bunch of other things. At least we were uh, centering our conversations around the Scriptures. And so uh, I'm, not, I'm not down on the individual because there's a lot of people out there that haven't been taught very much of anything. But again, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, the whosoever. And he, the whosoever, cannot sin, because he, the whosoever, is born of God. So I want to make that plain. That it's not the seed that cannot sin, though the Holy Spirit does not sin. But that's not what it's being that's not what's being said. It's the person that cannot sin because of the Holy Spirit that's in him. I believe the seed is the Holy Spirit, the new, the, the new birth, the regenerated new man. You say, well, how do you know the difference between the old man and the new man? Sometimes that's hard to say. Other than this, the old man still has an affinity for sin. The new man only has an affinity, affinity for the things of God. Which, is, which one is the greater? 
1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God that resides in a regenerated sinner is stronger than the old, the old man. And like I say, and I want—I don't want to leave the idea that anybody's going to be uh, walking around here sinless. There's there's that warfare that Paul so clearly described in Romans seven. There's a constant battle. But thanks be to God, we shall have the victory through Christ Jesus. Not in ourselves, but is it because of the Spirit of God that is greater than anything else that the world has to offer or that we do. While we are not sinless, we do have the same like nature as our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. In other words, we have the same type of spirit that the Lord has if the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, which we read in Romans 8 earlier, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. We have the same Spirit. We don't have the same fleshly nature as our Lord, but we are partakers, as we've already read in First Peter or Second Peter one four, we're partakers of the divine nature. And that seed remains, it abides in us. And then we have, I would kind of use this as a summary in verse 10 of 1 John 3. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. That's how you know the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. How are they living? You say, well, somebody might be looking like a child of the devil, but uh, God actually has elected them and they'll be changed later. <clears throat> that may be. 
But we're not prepared to say that because we can't say that God's going to change them. We don't know. All we can do is make the evaluation by what we see. That's all. We're not making a final judgment. If I tell a lie, do I blame God for that or the devil? The devil. Or myself. And I'm following the devil by doing that. I mean, when we sin, we're wrong. But thanks be unto God, we live more like a child of grace than a child of the devil. But I tell you what, beloved, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference in myself. I'm glad you don't see my inner self. But John is not describing necessarily the inner self. He's describing what you what a person practices. What they habitually practice. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness, he that is not practicing righteousness is not of God. Period. Neither he that is not loving his brother. Pretty powerful, isn't it? The children of God are manifested in their life of holiness. The children of the devil are manifested in their life of sin. He that does not live righteously is not of God. And he that does not love his brother is not of God. We'll close here. Next part we're going to take up and get more concretely what biblical love is. I know some of this this morning is a repeat of, of last Lord's Day, but I thought it needed to be put in its setting to make it as clear as I know how. I actually had someone to call me this week that said they had been 
have, tr- have had trouble with these verses for a long time and was glad for the clarification. Yes, we're sinners. But thanks to the grace of God, we don't live in sin. If it were not for God's grace, I don't know where I'd be. Well, I'd be, I'd be in the depths of sin. That's where I'd be. And so would you. But thankfully, grace... Well, sin shall not have the dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Romans 6 tells us. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can accept it by faith. We would that we could experience it. And sometimes you do bless our cup to overflow and we enter into some of the richness of your grace and mercy. But that's not what it is day by day. But oh, what shall it be when we behold Your face in righteousness. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name, Amen.